0: You're listening to Freedom Christian Fellowship's podcast. All right. (laughs) All right. Hey, the, the, the tween group, you're standing here with me today. I know you're excited about that. You're welcome. All right. But those of you who are in children's church, go ahead and stand up and head on out. Hey, Michael Oliver, can I get you to be my hero and move my whiteboard over here? Thank you, sir. I appreciate you, man. Oh, boy. (laughs) <laughs> oh, I wanted to tell y'all a story that would embarrass my son, but I'm not gonna. All right, and, uh, you guys are like, please embarrass him. All right, he's he's worthy to be embarrassed. My son was little. We lived in Maryland, and uh, he saw <laughs> he started screaming out the out the window. To he was a little guy. He's probably four years old, and he started uh, screaming out the the window. What was it a uh, a sheep or a, uh, uh, it was a, he thought he saw, he thought he saw, a, a, I think it was a cow, a cow that turned out to just be a sheep dog. <laughs> and so in my family, we have this genetic disorder with identifying animals, all right? <laughs> so just, <laughs> oh, I, I don't know. I really honestly think we should go home right now. All right. Okay, let's jump into this. Okay, today we are starting a new series um, that follows Lent. Okay, just I'm gonna say Lent and then we're gonna drop Lent. Okay, um, because Lent is not something we celebrate, but it's something that's celebrated in and in, in the church worldwide, and it's the idea, idea of the the building up the 40 days um, that lead up into Easter. Okay, and so this series is gonna follow us into Easter and. And it's really important because what we're doing is setting our attention on Jesus Christ in a particular way that reminds us of His, his uh, the crucifixion, His death, His burial, and His resurrection. And there's important things that we need to set our hearts on. And so today, what I want to do is I want to talk to you and give you, and I'm going to do my best to try to teach through some of this, um, this idea of Passover, because you guys understand that when we celebrate Easter, really what we're celebrating is something that God gave and He foreshadowed in Jesus Christ, which was a feast, and it was the feast of Passover. And Passover has a specific um, importance for for us today. It's been fulfilled through Jesus Christ, but what we see in Passover and this idea of Passover, and what we need to set our eyes to, is the freedom. That comes in Jesus Christ. And it's powerful. It's powerful. Because there are many um, sides and, and, and pictures of this beautiful grace of freedom that we see through Jesus Christ. And so I want to paint this picture because a lot of times we have a disconnect in our understanding when we read the Bible because we separate the Old and the New Testament and we think, well, Jesus is the new and the old kind of maybe doesn't make sense. Some of you, I don't know if you've ever felt that way. I know I have felt that way. And it's because sometimes we don't understand that we, see the, we don't see, we fail to see the picture of God's covenant that He extended from the very beginning and He fulfilled through Jesus Christ. And so Passover gives us an opportunity to really see that. And I'm not going to go into great depth about it, but I do want to explain it from a scriptural standpoint and, and what God spoke. And so I, I want to just encourage you to set your hearts in the place to say, God, I want to receive really the important thing is the grace of your freedom today. And no matter where you are, this isn't This isn't just about getting free from things. This is getting into the freedom that enables us to walk in the fullness of life that we've been called to walk in, in Jesus Christ. So let's just talk through Passover really quick. So what is Passover? And Passover is the picture of God's redemption and the fulfillment of Israel that we see in the Old Testament. But there's a bigger picture for us today, and it's, again, this large picture of redemption now, let me just jump back into the Old Testament really quick and show you how God was faithful from the very beginning all the way through Jesus Christ for us, okay? In Genesis chapter 15, verse 1, God spoke this to Abraham. Now, God cut covenant, really, the first time that we see the formation of Israel is with Abraham, okay? God said, Look, Abraham, I'm gonna be your God, okay? You're going to be my people, and out of you, I'm going to create a nation of people, right? And that was a picture of what it means to come into relationship with God. And when God calls us into relationship, when we come into relationship with Jesus Christ, we become his. There's an exchange of identity, okay? And this is really important. So in Genesis 15:1, 1, um, God sp- speaks this to Abram. And he says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. And God said, do not be afraid, Abram. I am your shield and your very great reward. Now this is important because this is the heart of God. We see the heart of God. We see this powerful love that pulls Abram in and says, listen, Abraham, you don't understand what's going to happen. You don't understand how I'm going to turn you into a nation. You don't know it. You're old. You don't even have an heir. You don't have a child. Your wife's old. This isn't. Doesn't look possible, but trust me. Why? Because Abraham, I am your shield and I am your very great reward. But further into Genesis 15 13, this is what God speaks to Abraham again. And again, this is a foreshadowing, this is a prophetic word, if you would, that God has given Abraham. And he says this The Lord said to him, No, For certain that for 400 years your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own, and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Now, I want to tell you something. Listen, let's just think about this really quick that if we were to hear God speak to us, and God starts off with that, that would trip us out. We would get a little bit freaked out, wouldn't we? And rightfully so. Nobody wants the bad news first, right? Good news or bad news? Always go with good news. And so this is, shows, again, the heart of God where God says, listen, Abraham, I am your shield and your exceedingly great reward. I want you to take comfort in the fact that I see all things. Again, this picture of who God is is Yahweh, that I hold your future in my hand. Don't worry about it. But there is going to come a time where your people will be in captivity for 400 years. And of course, what God is speaking about is the captivity of Israel under Egypt. Okay? So now let's look at this and ask the second question. Why did Passover come? Passover came to rescue Israel and us from the bonds of oppression. In Exodus 12.12, this is what... The Scripture says, on that same night, God's speaking to Moses here. Moses is the liberator, the rescuer. He is the one who God has ordained as the prophet to go to Israel and to be the one that says to Israel, God is going to set you free. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn from the people and the animals, and I will bring judgment on the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where they are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This day, this is the day you are to commemorate for generations to come. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is what God is speaking here. And again, I know I'm I'm teaching through some of this, so just bear with me. This isn't where we're staying today, all right? This is what God's saying, and this is the first Passover that we see. Now remember, this is significant only in light of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God speaks to Moses, and he says, this is what I want you to do. This is going to be the final blow, is that I'm going to send my judgment across Egypt, and I'm going to kill all the firstborn. But what I want you to do is to take the blood of a lamb, and I want you to put it on your doorpost. What are we looking at here? is that we're looking at a picture of Jesus Christ, aren't we? Do you see it? Because this is what we see in Jesus Christ, is that in the exile of Israel out of Egypt... God is taking and invoking His judgment for the liberation of His people to get them out of that place, something that He spoke in Genesis 15 to Abraham. And He said, Abraham, I am your great and your exceeding reward. I don't cut covenant and call you a nation and put you into slavery and then you don't get out. But God is saying this and He says, look, I'm going to rescue Israel out of Egypt through the blood of the Lamb. Now when we fast forward to the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, this is what we see, is we see a reversal, but instead of it being for Israel, this is for mankind. And in Jesus Christ, what he did is he became that sacrificial lamb, didn't he? That's why the scripture tells us that he was the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the world. But instead of God's judgment being upon mankind, the judgment of God was placed not upon the firstborn of creation, but the firstborn of God. And God put the sin judgment upon Jesus Christ so that it could be fully atoned for. The final Passover happened at the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and it was complete. But what it provided for us is what we see as a picture of exile when God chose to redeem Israel out of slavery in Egypt. It provides the same thing for us. It rescues us from the oppression of our sin. Now we understand this, but here's the thing, is that sin equals bondage, and you can't have freedom where there is bondage. And so Jesus came to bring us into freedom. This is the work of grace. Let's keep going. So, what does Passover accomplish for us? In Matthew 26, this is Jesus' words. And I'm going to read in verse 17 and then drop down to verse 26. It says, on that first day of the festival of the unleavened bread, unleavened bread, the festival of unleavened bread, again, forgive me for being too teachy here, guys, but uh, it's important for us to understand the scripture, okay? The festival of unleavened bread and Passover were celebrated together, okay? So this is the time shortly before the death of Jesus. On the first day of the unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, where do you want us to make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Drop down to verse 26. Here they are celebrating what we call as the Last Supper, that that picture that we all have in in our brain of the painting. This is actually a Passover feast that Jesus is celebrating with his disciples. In verse 26, he says, while they're eating, Jesus took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and, and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it, all of you. This is the blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus Christ came to fulfill the Passover for us so that we can come into the grace of the freedom of Jesus Christ. In 1 Corinthians 5, 7 and 8. This is what it says. Get rid of the old yeast so that you may be a new unleavened batch as you really are. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Therefore, let us keep the festival not with old bread, leavened with malice and wickedness, but with unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is what Paul is saying. Is that we don't have to practice the feast of Passover to receive the benefits of Passover. Because we don't receive it. From the bread in the cup, what we receive it from is through Jesus Christ. Even when we come to the table, the significance is not in the cracker and the grape juice. It is in the reminder of what Jesus Christ did for us at the cross. Through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Now I want to talk to you just about a couple of things that God, God steps for freedom in our life. And the steps that we can all take that are provided for us as we focus our attention on this beautiful sacrifice that Jesus gave. Now, I'm going to dip back into Exodus 3 really quick, verses 7 and 9. It says, this is what God spoke to Moses, and he said, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of that my people in Egypt, I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and bring them out of that land into a good, spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, Jebusites. And now the cry of Israel has reached me and I have seen the way The Egyptians are oppressing them. Why am I reading this to you? Because this is what I want you to hear. There's a couple of things that reflect the heart of God and why God is so intent about bringing freedom in your life and in my life. This is what God said here. First, he said this, I've seen. God sees the things that we walk through. He sees the misery of our life. He is not distant from it. He is not far away. Sometimes people say when they get into these hard places, God, where are you? God is not far. He sees your pain. We see here in this statement, in the scripture that we read, is that God hears also. He hears the cries of our heart. He hears the pain in our heart. And He is concerned. He is concerned, and His desire always is to rescue, to rescue, to bring us out of what is oppressing us into a good and a beneficial place in our life. In Luke 7, I'm reading a lot of Scripture, but we're going to dig into this in just a second. Write these down. Go back and reread them when you need to. We're framing out the heart of God and the heart of freedom that God has for us. In Luke 7, this very powerful interchange that happens between Jesus and the widow woman's son who has just died. And I love this, but I want you to pick up on the statement of the people after Jesus does the supernatural and the impossible. In Luke 17, 13, and 16, it says this, When the Lord saw her, his heart was, went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Here's what we see. Again, I want you to pick up on this wording and pay close attention to this because the heart of God has never changed. God's heart has never been distant from His people. He has never been distant from their pain. He has never been distant and His arm too short to rescue. And this is what we see in Jesus Christ is when He saw this woman, the first thing that the Scripture tells us is that His heart went out to her. His heart broke for her. And the first words out of his mouth to her, don't cry. Don't cry. Then he went up and he touched the buyer where, she was, where they were carrying him on. And the bearer stood still and he said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe, and praise God, a great prophet has appeared among us. They said, God has come to help his people. Listen to that. The truth is this, is that God's heart for freedom has been consistent from the very beginning. He is passionately intent about bringing freedom to us. And we see this picture of freedom again through the sacrifice that Jesus made. Now I want to talk to you this morning, and this is where I really want to dig into this. Is I want to talk to you about four places that Jesus wants to bring freedom in your life. And these are God's steps of freedom. And so I want to encourage you to write these down. The first one is this, is that God wants you to be free from your pain. Don't cry. God wants you to be free from your pain. And for some of us this morning, it's time for us to let healing in. See, what happens is this, is that the stain of sin leaves a mark on us, and it brings this, it brings shame, and it brings condemnation, and it brings hopelessness. But the first work of grace that we see here is this, is the removal and the freedom that Jesus gives us from our pain. And if you're embarking on a journey of freedom, the first thing that Jesus wants to heal you from is the pain and the sting and the shame of your life. He wants to bring you into the understanding that you are free from this, that there's not a need anymore for you to carry this, that there's not a place that in your heart that He doesn't want to heal, but He wants to set you completely free. And this is the first thing that we have to understand in order to be reconciled to freedom and to walk in this grace, is that we have to get free from pain. And can I tell you something? Listen, in this dynamic, and and, uh, I had the opportunity to share at a different church, and I I shared on this, this is something that some of you have been here a long time have heard and you understand, but this is important for us to know, is that when it comes to dealing with pain, there's two things that you need to understand is that you have a spirit and then you have a soul. And this is what Jesus does when he removes the pain is because sin imprints right here in your spirit, but it doesn't stay there, is that it begins to affect your soul. And your soul is the seat of your emotions, it's the seat of your affections, it's what even you begin to think about you. And that this is why Jesus' intent when He begins to walk you in freedom is to remove the, the, the sting of pain in your life. Is because this shame will imprint upon your soul and begin to affect the way that you see others and ultimately the way you affect others, you treat others. And so the first work of grace that we see is the removal of this. And the way that happens is by allowing the Holy Spirit to set us free and forgive us from sin in our spirit, but then allowing Him to heal the wounds of our soul as well. And all we have to do is simply invite Him in. We have to invite His presence in to allow Him to begin to heal these areas in our life. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, but this is an absolute truth, is that if this is out of balance and freedom does not exist, the freedom from pain does not exist, what will happen is this, is that you may receive something spiritually similar to the parable of the sower. We went through that a few weeks ago when we talked about the parables, and we looked at the different types of soils, didn't we? And there was the rocky soil, and then there was a the thorny soil, And each of those two soils, this is what we see, is that the seed began to take root a little bit, but something choked it out. And I want to tell you, it didn't get choked out in the seed of the spirit. It got choked out in the seed of the soul. Because there was a wound there. And Jesus wants to set us completely free. As a matter of fact, the Greek word, one of the Greek words for salvation is the word sozo, which means this, spirit, soul, and body. Completely saved. Completely free. And Jesus wants us to be completely free from pain. Because sometimes the sting of of sin has, has marked us in a place, again, where this forms an identity in us. And God wants to renew that. The second place that we need to walk in freedom from is our past. Is that God wants us to have freedom from our past. For some of us this morning, maybe for all of us, it's time to let yesterday go. Paul writes like this, he said, forgetting those things that are behind I press on to the high calling that I have in Jesus Christ. See, there's a very powerful principle that we have that enables us to walk in the freedom and the grace that Jesus has come to bring. And it's this, is that we have to let yesterday go. And sometimes the stain of yesterday trips us up because it inhibits the way that we think again in our soul about our future and the freedom that Jesus came to bring is a freedom that doesn't just heal our pain, but it heals our past. You are not the mistakes of yesterday. You are not the failures of yesterday. You are not defined by the addictions and the shame of yesterday. When you come into Jesus Christ, you are a new creation. One of the most powerful scriptures that is almost a bedrock scripture in this, in this, in this church that we have is 1 John 1, 1.9. If you confess... Your sins. He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. Why is God so intent on in cleansing us from unrighteousness? Because righteousness forms in us our future, doesn't it? It forms in us the thoughts of God, the truth of what God says about us, and it rids us of the sting of our past. And if God is so good at removing the shame of our past, or removing the identity of our past, then we have to give Him permission to say, God, I'm going to believe what you say is true about me. I'm going to let go of my past. And for us this morning, that is a simple agreement. Whether it means that the Holy Spirit has to knock out some strongholds in the seat of our souls, some things that maybe we have struggled with, Some things that we try to dip our hands back into. But let me just show you something here. Is the best way to get rid of your past is not to straddle the fence. Don't straddle the fence. Put both feet into the place of faith. Trust what God says. Believe what His Word says. Listen, I don't care if you struggled with an addiction. I don't care if you struggled with a mindset. I don't care if you know what you struggled with, if the sting of your past is holding on to you, the first thing that you have to do by faith is to pull your foot out of your past and put it into your future and what God says. And to say, God, I'm going to trust what you believe. It doesn't mean that it will change immediately the way you feel, but if you stay in the place of faith. Here's why. is because faith doesn't work when you straddle. Faith doesn't work when you straddle. Man, I'm so I get I get the opportunity to speak to our young people on Wednesday nights from time to time, and and I know, I know how much they love me and they're excited to hear me. That's a joke, young people. They're all like, uh, right? now. but I'm telling you right now, there's a generation of world changers. I'm telling you, man. It's it's again something that's in the DNA of this house. And parents, if you've got young people and and you're going, oh, I don't know. I don't know what I see. They're confusing me. I don't understand them. I want you to speak prophetically into them. And when I say prophetically, everybody just take a deep breath and chill out, okay? All that means is that you're speaking what God says, all right? And I want you to speak, and I want you to declare of them that they're world changers, that they're great, that they're loved of God. Why? Because they understand that you can't have one foot over here doing and believing what you used to, and then one foot in faith. You've got to have both feet in faith. To do what God's called you to do. Alright, the next thing is this. Is that we have, God wants to bring us freedom to live as a new creation. There we go. How is that different than the past? Let's talk about that for just a second, okay? This speaks to me about the picture of Redemption. Now, let me, I brought, I brought an illustration for you guys this morning, something that um, I love. Uh, my daughter, Abby, is an artist, phenomenal artist, actually. Now, I don't know if you guys can see this right here, and you probably can't understand it. I'll hold it up. But I'm going to explain this to you. Is <laughs> that this is actually sushi. See, there's three pieces of sushi, the little bowl, the chopsticks. The ginger and the wasabi right there. And my daughter and I have a passion that we share together, and that's sushi. We love sushi. And, and, uh, and so she made this in class just as a project. I don't know how much thought she put into it. something that she had to do. But she made this, and I said, Abby, can I have this? I love this. It speaks to me. It speaks to my passion, my, my love for sushi, girl. You know my heart. When we wrangle tears, we eat sushi. <laughs> I said, oh my gosh. I was thinking about this, and I thought about this freedom that God brings us into to, to, to live as a new creation. This is, this is what this means, and the best example I could give you is this. Because every one of us, when we come into Christ Jesus, what we are is just clay. We are just clay. And oftentimes there's not any kind of significance that we see for ourselves. And I want to tell you something this morning is that if you don't know the joy that the Creator has for you, I want to invite you into that place. And maybe, maybe, maybe you met Jesus or you said you met Jesus a long time ago when you were a kid or many, many moons ago. But if you don't know the joy of the Creator, then you don't know Jesus. See, because this started off as just a lump of clay. But in the hands of the Creator, it held all the value that that clay could ever have. And the only way that you and I become a new creation is when we seat our hand, ourselves humbly in the hands of the Creator, knowing that He holds the value of our life in His hands, and He is able to create something beautiful out of us. See, this is what it means to be a new creation. This isn't the work that we do. This is the work that we allow the Holy Spirit to do in us. Why? Because God's value is greater than ours. And there is a freedom that we have in this truth. When we come into this and we say, God, we want to live as a new creation, what we're saying is, God, mold me into the highest value that you created me for. And there's three expressions of this that I believe that we have as a work of grace. And this is another work of grace because when we say, God, help me to live as a new creation. Give me the freedom to live as a new creation. What we're saying is, God, I want to be able to interact with you. I want to begin to be able to worship you. This is why Romans 12:1 and 2 calls us and speaks to us and tells us that we are a new creation and that we have a a, a duty, a reasonable act of worship that we offer up to God. Here's why. is because as a new creation, the joy and the fulfillment of our life comes from our upward expression of intimacy to God as we begin to worship Him as a new creation. I want to tell you something. Listen. My children, it's, it's amazing when when. How many of you guys like documentaries? Anybody like documentaries? I love documentaries. I've watched some great documentaries. I'm gonna try to explain this to you in great grace. But when I watch documentaries, this is something that I learn: is that people that go. Sideways, I watched this documentary about this man who was in prison. for. He worked for the mob and he killed tons of people, hundreds of people. And as this man spoke, and you could tell he had this exterior that was hard. He was a big man. He was angry. And he spoke, he spoke about the pain of his childhood. And he said that his, his dad beat him and it developed in him this anger this this hatred that that fueled him and broke his soul and in the direction that he went in life it led him to the place where he got connected with the wrong people and eventually started killing and the, and the guy that was interviewing asked him and said do you feel anything about this he goes i feel nothing at all and it wasn't until the end of the interview this man led a double life he had a wife and three kids. And at the very end of, it, of the interview, he said, "You know, I'm not sorry for anything. I don't repent. I don't. I don't. I'm. I'm. I'm not confessing anything. I, I'm not saying that I'm sorry." And then he stopped, and his jaw kicked off to the side, and he began to to his jaw began to tremble a little bit, and he began to cry, and he said, "This. That's not correct. I am sorry." I'm sorry to my wife and to my kids because I love them and I hurt them. And I realized something, the impact of the love of the Father that it plays in our life. And now, of course, that's a biological understanding And some of you today, you haven't experienced that. And there's grace for you. But it comes through Jesus. Now here's the important thing that we need to understand. And why we need to have the freedom of being able to be a new creation is this. Is that when we come into the understanding of the formation of the value of the Father, it gives us the ability to respond in love to Him. Because you can't respond in love to a father that does not love you and value you. But when the love of the father consumes you and renews you and forms in you a new creation, the freedom of a new creation, then the intimacy upward to God can be expressed. And not everybody has had the benefit of a natural father, but every one of us, to know the freedom of what it means to say and hear God say that I knew you and I created you when you were a lump, but I didn't put your value into you, but I put my value into you. And you are beautiful and you are precious and you are worthy in my sight. It affects also our outward, our ability to love other people, to bear the fruit of the Holy Spirit in our life. When we walk as a new creation, what happens is this. Is that we don't walk in our own strength and we don't walk in our own ability. But we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit to be able to love. So much of our ability to love can be rooted and understood through how we value ourselves. But when there is a freedom that we receive to become a new creation, we don't love through our experiences anymore. We love through the work of the Spirit that is creating in us a new creation in our soul. So that the love of Christ can come out to us. It's powerful. The final way is this. Is the freedom to live in your future. The freedom to live in your future. And this is the, what I say is the, the last work of Grace. Justin, you come on up, man. And it gives us the ability to step into His strength, to step and to walk by faith. Because if God is removing in this work of redemption, and this is what God spoke to Israel, and I want you to see this. I want to dip back in, into the story of Israel really quick. Is that when God spoke to Moses and said, listen, I'm going to exile you out and the, the angel's going to sweep through and those who have the blood of the lamb on their doorposts that I'm going to pass over. He spoke to him again and he said, listen, I'm going to rescue from your pain. I'm going to take the sting of your past. And you know why? It's because this is what Israel knew for many, many, many generations is all they knew was to be slaves. See, God can remove the pain of your circumstances, and He can change that, and He wants to. And that's the first work of grace, but it doesn't stop there. Because sometimes this pain can, can, can put a mark on our soul, can it? And God had to clean the, 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 the mindset out of Israel and say, You're no longer slaves, but you are coming back into this covenant promise that I cut with Abraham to live as a new creation. A people set apart that original covenant so that you could have a future that I'm going to call you into a land that I promised and I swore to your forefathers. And God does the same thing for us in Jesus Christ. And we see this progression and it has to happen like this, is that Jesus has to bring us freedom from our pain and He has to bring us freedom from our past and He has to make us a new creation so that we can walk in the calling that He's given us. And the fulfillment of your life comes when you begin to walk in the calling that God has called you and created for you to be. When you exercise the grace of God on your life, the strength of the gifts that He put inside of you, when those things match up with the calling, when you realize that no matter what your past is like, that when you came into Jesus Christ, and friends listen to me please listen to me this morning is that this is why we focus on the death the burial and the resurrection of Jesus because all of this is complete in him is this is what we see is that we've been redeemed for a purpose that we have been redeemed and when the, the gifts of God in us match up with the future when you realize that God redeemed you into something as a powerful testimony And I could look across this room and see that beautiful picture and so many faces of how God did something phenomenal that none of us deserved, and He used the gifts, and they're powerful, from people who teach in our small groups to people who are, are in the Dream Center. I look at Pastor Ken back there. When I, when I look across this room and I see the powerful things that God has done and how He's matched these things up, So this is what I want to leave us with this morning, is how do we walk in this? The first is communion. How do we walk in this freedom? Communion. We commune around the table. As part of our worship, we do this regularly. We come to the table and we worship around the table. Again, the power is not in the cracker and in the juice. It's in remembering what Jesus Christ did for us. When we set our eyes regularly upon that grace and we step into that freedom fresh, but communion doesn't just happen in the liturgical sense. On a Sunday morning, it happens every day. That we have to have communion with the Lord every day. That we have to set up a time to receive from His Word, to receive in prayer, to receive in worship. That we have to cultivate that every day because this brings us into freedom. And when we deny these things in our life, what happens is that we can easily lose sight of that beautiful grace that we live in because freedom isn't one and done. Freedom is not one and done. We don't just walk, get freedom one time and then it's free forever. Freedom is something that we continually, continually grow in. Because some of you say, well, pastor, I don't need freedom from my pain. I don't need freedom from my past. I'm a new creation. Are you walking in the fullness of your future? Is something limiting you? Then you need freedom to walk in that. We need communion with each other. Because the simple truth of our freedom means this, is that we can't get our freedom alone. This is why we're so big about the community of small groups and the fellowship that we have here. It's because the people you're sitting next to literally are the life source of your freedom. And I think, again, I could look around this room and see the relationships that I'm connected into In a way of community and say, God has used those relationships to bring me freedom. There are people here that in my hardest times have called me, have texted me, have held me up, who have given me words, who have encouraged me, who said, listen, I'm not going to let you get back into the bondage of captivity, but I'm going to keep you in a place of freedom. Why? Because our freedom is can't be one alone. We have to have communion with each other. The second way is confession. And confession is not a bad thing. Growing up, I always thought confession was simply confessing our sins, and in part it is. And so confession in my mind was bad. If I confess, it's because I did something wrong. But that's an improper view of confession, and that's not a healthy understanding of the power of confession that brings freedom. Because even though confession deals with being able to confess our sins to receive grace, it also deals with this idea of the confession of our inability. One of the most powerful things that we can do when it comes to walking in freedom is to say, God, I'm not able to do this, but you are. And my confession is, help me in my weakness. Find me in this place, Holy Spirit, and help me and strengthen me. I can't do this. I prayed that this week in a place where I was struggling with something, and I said, God, I'm weak, and I need your help. I don't understand something, so help me in my place where my belief is struggling. And I want to tell you that when we do that, when we make that confession, what we're doing is that we're inviting grace in and that grace becomes freedom. We have to have a confession of our need for Him. And we also have to confess the declarations of God in our life because confession is not negative. Confession is also us saying, God, these are the promises that You've spoken to us and we're going to declare those things. And you have to have a steady diet of the right confession to say, God, I confess my shortcomings. I confess my inability and my need for you. But I also confess the things that you promised me and the things that you've given me in your word. And the last place is consecration. You Can't read that. Figure it out. And if we want freedom to reign in our life, what we have to do is what I mentioned earlier, is that we have to give our heart wholly over to God. That we have to consecrate that part of us and say, God, again. Man, I, I, would, I would love to dig into this thought with you guys for a second. Because a lot of times in church we do a great disservice When we say come up to the altar and receive salvation, because salvation is an ongoing work. That doesn't mean your security is an ongoing work. Your security is secure when you confess Jesus Christ as your Lord, but the need for consecration is ongoing. Because there's been times in my life that my heart has been divided. In my journey with Jesus over a lot of years. From the time that I was five to the time that I'm almost 45 years old. That my heart has wavered at time, And I had to yield myself and bend my knee and, and, and say, raise my hands and say, Jesus, again, I consecrate my heart wholly to You. I consecrate my identity to You. And I'm not measured by the standard of this world. I'm not measured by the standard of other people. I'm not measured by the standard of my past. But God, form in me your identity. I consecrate that to you. God, I consecrate my direction to you. Give me the courage and the strength to walk in the freedom that you called me to, to be obedient in faith, to go where you have called me to go. When we put these things together, communion, confession, and consecration, the fruit of freedom begins to grow in us. Amen. Amen. Let me pray for you, and then we're going to celebrate communion together this morning. And the way that we celebrate communion is so beautiful and simple. If I can have the ushers come and prepare the tables. Jesus' intent about bringing us into freedom has been God's plan from the very beginning. He's passionate about this. And this morning, no matter where you are, if there's a place in your, in your pain that you need freedom from, and I know this, that there's been times in my life that I've, I've gone back up and down that ladder. And I said, God, maybe I've let a little bit of pain slip in. Maybe I've let a little bit of my past slip in. God, I need the freedom to be a new creation in you. To step into my future. This is why Jesus came. And when we come around the table today, I want our focus to be on this. And maybe our confession needs to be, Jesus, I need you. Fresh in my life. And I consecrate my heart wholly to you today. I consecrate my steps. Some of you this morning, your act of consecration is this, is that God, I'm going to be obedient to take the steps that you've called me in, in my future. That I'm walking in this. Some of you, look, I, I, I hate to do this because I feel like it's low-hanging fruit, but I think some of you need to hear it today is that some of you have been sitting on things that are going to help bring freedom to other people because you've been afraid of taking a step in your future and you need to consecrate your future to Jesus. Some of you, because of your past, you say, nobody wants to hear from me. Nobody wants to hear about these things, but you know God put them in you, and He wants to use them, and they need to come out in whatever vehicle He's telling you to do, whether it's a book, a podcast, a teaching, a video, I don't care, whatever it is. Because I want to tell you something. Listen, here's what you've got to understand, and I'm, 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 not, I'm not going to go, go off the handle on this one, but this work of freedom that we talked about today... It was contingent upon the obedience of three men that we talked about. Just three men. Abraham, Moses, and Jesus Christ. And so some of you today, again, just, just, just hammer on this a little bit because I feel like it's important, is that you need to take a consecration and say, Jesus, I'm going to be obedient to, to take a step of faith. And it's not because of what I think people want to hear or not because of what I view through the lens of my past, but because of what you did in my life. All right, let's stand up. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you here. Mm. Jesus, I thank you that you are passionate about our freedom. And God, I just pray. I pray for great grace. That we see the grace that you gave us through the cross and through the, your death and through your resurrection, Jesus, that you overcame. That you became the Passover lamb. God, I thank you that the judgment that was on my life, that was on our lives, was placed firmly upon Jesus Christ. That the wrath of my sin was placed upon Jesus. And I thank you that in Jesus we have new life. And so I pray right now just for that grace to fall and fill on everybody here. That understanding of that great grace. And if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior this morning, it's simple. It's such a beautiful, loving gift. And all you need to do is say, Jesus, I believe. I believe and I receive what you did at the cross for me. Oh, I'm sorry that I sinned. I take my responsibility, but you don't ask me to carry anything, Jesus. You just ask me to give it to you, to put it under your blood. So I place my sin under Your blood and I receive back from You the grace and the forgiveness. And Jesus, I thank You that You heal me from the pain from my past, that You call me a new creation and You redeem me into a future. I thank You, Jesus. God, for every one of us here as we take a step of freedom into You, God, no matter where it is, Lord, that we come to You, that we confess You as truth and we consecrate our lives wholly and totally to You. When you come to the table this morning, this is a time of worship between you and the Lord. And so I'm going to ask you to hold this in reverence and you can make an altar up here and I'm going to have some of our ministry team off to the sides if you need to pray with them this morning. And so for a few minutes, we'll celebrate this together. Then I'm going to come up here and I'm going to bless you and dismiss you. But let's set up this place right here as an altar before the Lord and make your confession before the Lord and say, God, bring me into a new level of freedom. So would you come to the table at this time? Hallelujah. Father, we just thank you this morning. Lord God, for the freedom that we have in you. We thank you, Jesus, for the freedom that you gave us in Jesus, in you, in your sacrifice, your beautiful sacrifice. Now, Holy Spirit, we just, again, just invite you to come. To empower us to live in the freedom and the grace that you've called us. And God, I just declare just a beautiful new day over every person, God, that your great grace would cover them, would follow them, Lord, would pursue them. And Father, I thank you, Lord, just for the, Lord, the boldness to step out into the future, God, that you have called us in. And God, I thank you for those gifts and talents, Father, God, just... manifest in a powerful way, Lord, just the 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 freedom, God, to to step out into those things. And so, Lord, we just thank you, God. And we consecrate our heart wholly again to you this morning in the name of Jesus. Amen. As you're dismissed this morning, I want to just make available that if you need prayer for anything this morning at all, Whether it's for your physical body or for something you're walking through. I want to invite you to come and to receive prayer this morning as you leave. If not, we love you so much. Have a great day. Love each other as you walk out today. Bye-bye.